I'm Carol Hills, and this is The World. Turns out al-Qaeda's Africa chapter had a comprehensive strategy for conquering northern Mali, at least according to a letter just discovered in a former militant command post in Timbuktu. The nine-page document instructs local fighters to tread lightly on the local population, to avoid destroying ancient monuments and libraries, and not to impose a strict version of Islamic law. But those instructions weren't heeded, and the militants' behavior wound up alienating most Malians. But that's not the whole story, as the CBC's Laura Lynch reports. As the late afternoon sun slides toward the night, shadows stretch across a patch of dirt in downtown Bamako. Four boys wearing only sandals, their feet smudged with rust-colored soil, have just minutes left to finish their soccer match before darkness. In this poor part of the city, the goal has no net, just a ditch that catches the ball. They may not be rich nor have a bright future, but they're fierce soccer players and equally fierce patriots who know all about the fighting far away. We are good Malians. Mali is our land and we want to keep moving forward. We want to liberate the north. They sound like young warriors, stout defenders of their land. But everyone knows the enemy, the jihadists, were a tough foe who easily dispensed with the Malian army last year. And part of what made it so difficult to fight them is the fact that there are those in cities like Gao who sympathize with them, perhaps even support them. Bamature, silver-haired and slow-moving, welcomes me to the courtyard of his simple home near the center of town. He keeps birds and chickens here, and his wife cooks over an open flame. It's a tranquil setting for a conversation about a disturbing subject. Just a few hundred yards from here, in an open field, the jihadists who ran this city for 10 months carried out harsh and bloody punishments, cutting off people's hands and feet. But listen to Toure's reaction to the brutality brought upon his neighbors. Listen, in particular, to his seeming acceptance of it all. Yes, it wasn't hidden. They did it. They did it. It's the law, Sharia law. Generally, it was for people who broke the law, thieves or a man seen with a woman he wasn't married to. Then they cut off their hand. That kind of reaction isn't a surprise to Malian political analyst Adam Thiam, in spite of the abundance of images of Malians greeting French troops as liberating heroes. He says he spent long hours meeting with people in Gao, trying to understand how militant groups were able to take over there. I was under the impression, in talking to some groups, that the Salafis were not a problem, that people who had their hand cut were real thieves. Siam says the militants have been able to exploit many people's adherence to a more fundamental strain of Islam, but they also tapped into northern Malians' sense of alienation from their own weak government, one unable or unwilling to make its presence felt outside larger cities. There are people in this community who have never seen a Malian doctor, a Malian teacher, a Malian soldier. And so the jihadists came in, filling the vacuum with offers of help, help they could provide through the vast amounts of money they made engaging in kidnapping and smuggling. But they also issued demands at the point of a gun. Local Aman Zakaria Yahia Maiga watched them enter his mosque and take over. Often, they would come here to pray. 
and they would lay their guns down in front of them, scaring everyone. Then they would be in charge preaching their own form of Islam. They erected stark signs, black with white lettering, warning people that their version of Sharia law must be obeyed. And they stayed for months, facing not even the whiff of a challenge from the Malian army that was in disarray. Now the army is back, and Major Colonel Didier Darko says it won't repeat the mistakes of the past, especially if the West is willing to help keep the militants at bay right here. Gao is like an open gate to the big Sahara. Darko has trained with the military in the United States, and he'd like the West to come here to do more, to ensure the fighters don't simply slip across borders to plot their next attack. It might be somewhere, somewhere else in another country, somewhere where the situation is, is profitable to them, another weak state somewhere. So for this reason, I think we have to really take care of all these places that are empty. The U.S. military is considering using more surveillance aircraft and possibly drones to patrol the vast sands of the Sahara, but Adam Tiam doubts that will be enough. They will not give up the desert. This is where they have invested the most, and uh, they know for sure that an international longer presence uh, will not be sustainable and that the state of Mali will never have the means to, to, to fight them. But it seems Washington and other Western governments remain reluctant to do more, at least militarily. The Obama administration, committed to pulling out of Afghanistan, fears another quagmire in Mali, especially when some observers say the jihadists pose no direct threat to American interests. Some, like Adam Tiam, suggest a focus on development and aid in northern Mali to reduce the influence of those who preach jihad. Rama Toure cleans up after cooking the midday meal. It's her husband who seemed not to mind the presence of the militants in his city. He didn't even want her to be interviewed. But I seek her out, away from him, to ask what she thinks. Her face suddenly becomes shrouded with the memories. The whole time, I didn't budge. My husband didn't budge. We stayed inside all the time. Very terrible, she says, and quickly turns away. Gao is still a city on edge. In the last few days, there have been suicide attackers, gunfights, and a huge 1,200-pound bomb found in the heart of the city. There seems no lasting peace here and no easy path to finding a solution in Mali's shifting sands. For The World, I'm Laura Lynch. Gao, Mali.